you know, I realize that technically we are still in winter, right? Spring doesn't start until next Sunday. Um, but these temperatures have gotten me thinking warmer thoughts, and maybe that's gotten you thinking warmer thoughts too. I, some of us have already in our minds, we're into spring, we're into summer, we're making plans, right? Some of, some of us college students are already gone at spring break this week, they're gone. Some of you are planning your spring break coming up. You're planning your summer vacations to the beach or to warmer places. Some of you have, have summer weddings coming up. Hopefully if you do, you are well into the planning for that. Some of you have babies coming spring or summer. You're make, when we have events like that, opportunities that are out of the ordinary, we think ahead. We plan ahead. We make preparations. We make reservations, all that stuff, because we don't want any surprises for events like that. It's exactly what Jesus does for his disciples in the passage we're going to read this morning. Take out your Bibles. Turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, found on page 1004 in the Bibles you have in front of you. In, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is in the middle of his three-year ministry here on earth, but he's already, he's already looking forward to the season that is to come. He's already looking forward to the cross. He's anticipating the tomb. He's anticipating the resurrection He's preparing for the next season that is to come. And he wants his disciples to be prepared as well. He doesn't want any surprises for them. So here in Luke chapter 9, he has a very frank conversation with them and reveals to them what is to come. And I was thinking about that this past week too, that you and I are in really a very similar place as the disciples right now. A place and a time of preparation, right? This is a time right here today where we need to get ready. We need to get ourselves ready for the season that is to come, for a significant moment that is just on the horizon. Because in just two weeks, we're going to be gathered here on a Sunday morning for Easter, the biggest Religious holiday in our church season. It's got to be bigger than Christmas, right? Even though society says Christmas is bigger, Easter is the pinnacle because this is where we celebrate the victory of Jesus 2,000 years ago when he walked out of that tomb alive. Easter is when we celebrate the victory that Jesus is still winning in our hearts and in our lives still today. It's just on the horizon. It's coming. We need to be prepared for it. I hope you come back and celebrate with us. But it's interesting, as Jesus is preparing his disciples for that first resurrection morning, he's, he's doing more in this conversation than just preparing them for the resurrection. He prepares them for the whole story, the whole thing. And you and I need to remember and prepare for the whole story as well. Here in Luke chapter 9, Jesus doesn't just prepare them for, for Easter. He prepares them for what comes before, for what comes after. He prepares them for what's going to happen to him. He prepares them for what's going to happen to them. And he prepares us, you and I, for what must happen with us. So start this conversation at verse 18. We're going to read this section part by part. But, but Jesus starts the conversation, verses 18 through 20. Listen to how he starts it. 
It says, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. And Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone. Now pause there for a moment here. It's interesting here, at the very start of this section, the start of this significant conversation that Jesus is going to have with his disciples, he begins by confirming his relationship with them, clarifying with his disciples what, what kind of relationship they have here. Okay, so he asks, who, who do people think that I am? And they say, you know, some people think you're, you're a prophet, maybe Elijah. You're, you're one in the long line of prophets that's been through the history of our nation. But then Peter and the rest of the disciples, they know by now that Jesus is a lot more than just another prophet. And so he boldly declares when he says, how about you guys? Who do you think that I am? And Peter, always the spokesperson for all the disciples, right? He boldly declares, maybe for one of the very first times, you are the Christ. He says, we believe that you are the Messiah. We believe that you are the deliverer that we have been waiting for for centuries. You are the one. And for one of the first times, Jesus doesn't deny it. He tells them, yes, please keep it a secret. But he doesn't deny that he is the Christ, the true Messiah. And in confirming who he is to them, Jesus confirms who they are. They are his true disciples. Disciples, ones who will learn from him, ones who will follow him, ones who will let their lives be completely shaped by him. They will leave behind everything that they own, every other relationship, to be his disciples, his followers. Okay? He clarifies and confirms this relationship because it's important that this conversation he's about to have happen with people who are true disciples. Right? There's a conversation that Jesus wants to have with those who are fully committed to him. It's a conversation Jesus wants to have with those who are willing to take this journey along with him. Not just with anyone, but with those who are true disciples. People who will watch, people who will learn, people who will follow, people who will let their lives become more and more shaped by him. He needs to know that. And I think it's important that we stop here for a moment this morning. And we, before we read on that, we had that same conversation with Jesus. right? Because what Jesus is about to say to us is directed towards not just these 12 disciples 2,000 years ago, but it's directed towards all disciples, all times, all places. And Jesus wants this morning to confirm his relationship with you before we read on. He wants to say, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you believe? Do you truly believe that he is your savior and that he is your Lord? 
Do you truly believe that he's master of your life? And is he master of your life in more than just words, but in true actions? Are you truly a disciple, a full disciple of Jesus, a follower of him? Because if you are, then Jesus has a message for you this morning. And if you're not, if it's just a game for you, if it's just words, if you're not truly following him, then, then these words that he says won't make any sense to you. In fact, if anything, they might drive you further away from him rather than pull you closer to him. Jesus needs to know up front, are you my disciple? And we talk about active discipleship around here, right? Our, our catchphrase for ministry is growing God's kingdom through active discipleship. Know that discipleship is not just an intellectual assent to a bunch of facts. Discipleship means life change. Discipleship is life-shaping action. It's becoming more and more like Jesus. It's following him. It's following in his footsteps wherever he leads. It's imitating his life and becoming more like him and doing the things that he does. And if you agree with Peter and the rest of the disciples, if you are putting your life in Jesus' hands, if you believe and are a disciple, then Jesus has some words for you. Listen to what he, needs, what he says. Verses 21 and 22. I should say verse 22. So he says to them after confirming this relationship, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed. And on the third day, be raised to life. Okay, so he begins this conversation, this vital conversation, by telling them what he is going to do. And yes, he gets to the point where he says, yeah, on the third day, I'm going to be raised to life. Yes, he tells them there's a resurrection coming. I don't, think they, I don't think they comprehended what he's saying. But he lays it all out so there's no surprises. I am going to raise from the dead. But he makes it clear to them that before he can profoundly win on Easter, he must profoundly lose before that. Before he can rise, he must first die. He doesn't hide anything here from his disciples, right? He says, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be killed. And think about it, Jesus loses his life not only literally on that cross, but he loses everything that meant something to his life bit by bit and piece by piece in those, in those horrible few days, right? So think about it, next Sunday, next Sunday we're going to be celebrating Palm Sunday, right? The moment when Jesus rides into Jerusalem and for once people celebrate him as king, right? For once they kind of see who he really is, but do they see? No. That, that pinnacle moment of glory and joy, it doesn't last long because pretty soon it doesn't take long for those shouts of Hosanna to turn to shouts of crucify, for that adoration to turn to hatred. And then comes Thursday night and by and by Thursday night, all of his disciples who had promised him, who had sworn loyalty to him, that they'd never leave him, every single one of them abandons him. 
runs away. Judas betrays him. Peter, the rock, right? Peter denies Jesus three times, swears, I never knew the man. All of his closest friends, gone. And from that Thursday night, all through the night, to that Friday morning, justice is denied Jesus. Justice is denied God himself. Right? Lies are believed to be true. Stories are made up to condemn him. And by Friday morning, he's carrying a cross. And by Friday afternoon, he's dead. He loses everything. Everything that meant something to him, everything that mattered is gone. And he hangs on that cross, a, a horrible form of torture that communicates that nobody wants you. Right? We're, we're lifting you up from this earth because earth doesn't want you. And heaven's taken eternity to, to claim you because he never will. You're stuck between heaven and earth. Jesus loses everything because that's how he wins. He wins by losing. He reaches out to this lost world by sacrificing everything. So you and I, we need to brace ourselves, start bracing ourselves and preparing ourselves to fully experience this great loss with Jesus again. The temptation is simply to show up on Easter right? Let's not worry about all the other stuff. Let's not worry about pain, suffering, sorrow, loss. How about we just fast forward? I'll show up on Easter Sunday and I'll celebrate. You can't do it that way, right? We need to fully experience the whole story with Jesus. We need to experience the betrayal on Monday, Thursday. We need to experience Good Friday. We need to experience that silent, deafening silent Saturday, and we so often want the victory without the sacrifice, don't we? That's the way we like to live our lives. I want to make the team, I want to be the star, but I don't want to put in the hours of practice. I want to make a lot of money, but I don't want to work at it. Right? I, I, I want to lose weight, but I don't want to exercise. I want to pass the, the big test coming up, but I certainly don't want to study. Jesus says he can't get to Easter. He can't get to the Easter joy without Good Friday, without Thursday, without the sacrifice. And so as we move closer to Easter, prepare yourselves for the whole story with Jesus. Take the whole journey with him. Feel his loss. Feel the betrayal. Feel the injustice Feel the sacrifice. Feel that whole journey with Jesus. Because, because, as Jesus goes on to tell us, that is the path that you and I will follow, that we must follow if we truly are his disciples. If we identify ourselves as Jesus' followers, if early on when we were clarifying the relationship, you said, yes, that's me. I believe Jesus is my master. I've made him Lord of my life. I want to be his disciple. 
well, then we need to be prepared to lose as well. It's exactly what Jesus makes clear. Right after sharing what he was going to do, what does he do? He reveals what we are called to do. In verses 23 through 27. Listen to this. He said to them all, and he's speaking to you and me too, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. You know, we like to celebrate Jesus' sacrifice. But we don't really like to think about him calling us to follow in his footsteps, to make that same sacrifice ourselves. I think verses 23 and 24 might just be the most difficult verses in all of Scripture if we take them seriously. Right? If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. In other words, if we want to have the Easter victory, if we want to experience the joy of of living a new life with meaning and purpose, and if we want to receive the gift of life that God offers through Jesus, life both today and for eternity, if we want to live Easter resurrection lives, then Jesus says we got to be willing to follow him through Good Friday. We need to be willing to die to ourselves so that then we can come alive to him. We need to be willing to lose just like he did because that's how we really win. Because the pattern Jesus lived out is now the pattern that is ours that we must live. If he is our savior, if he is our master, and if we are his disciples, then we follow his pattern, then we follow his footsteps. And if we want to experience the Easter resurrection joy with him, then we need to be willing to follow him to the cross and the tomb. And that means, first of all, that we're willing to lose our lives for him. We will not find the true extent of purpose and meaning and pleasure in our lives until we give up our lives fully to God. Right? Until, we, until we choose to, to take this broken life of ours that, that we love so much. And we do. It's all we know, right? We know our brokenness. It, it, until we take this life of ours and we reshape it for God. We reshape it not according to what this world wants, not according to this, what this world says. Here is purpose. Here is success. Here is meaning. You, 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 here's comfort 
until we take all that and we die to ourselves and come alive to Jesus, we won't experience new life. And think about it. Jesus wasn't the first one to take that journey from the courthouse carrying a cross to Golgotha. Many took that journey before. And it was a one-way journey. It led to death. It led to the end. It led to doom. And you know what? When Jesus walked it, when he walked that journey carrying the cross on his shoulders, he transformed the end destination of this sacrifice. He transformed this losing it all journey. Because at the end of Jesus' journey, the cross led to new life. It led to rebirth. It led to true living. It became a one-way trip to glory in Jesus Christ. So if you want to experience that resurrection life, then you need to carry your cross down that one-way path of sacrifice for Jesus to laying down your life to truly pick up life that is real life. And when Jesus calls us to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow him, he's talking about real life and real sacrifice. There's a little Greek interpretation that needs to happen with those words. They're just honest and true, and they cut to the core. So let's not sugarcoat the Christian life. It's easy for us to do that here in our comfortable West Michigan lifestyle, isn't it? Jesus didn't really mean sacrifice. He didn't really mean lay down your life. He didn't really mean take up a cross, did he? I think he did. I think he called us to true sacrifice, to true laying down what's meaningful in our lives for him. It means giving up our comforts. I think Jesus is calling us to sacrifice, to be generous for his kingdom purposes, even when that generosity might impact the size of your house or what year your car was made or the size of your bank account. I think that's part of laying our life down. I think it means giving up our grudges and becoming people who, who do the hard work of forgiving. Come on, it's, let's admit it. It's nice to carry those grudges sometimes, isn't it? To be in the right when somebody's wronged you and you can hold that over them and you have power, you have authority and we like to carry that bitterness and Jesus says, lay it down. Sacrifice that right of yours to have power over that person you've wronged you and forgive. Lay it down. I think it means giving up our burdens. Our burdens that we think we can handle. Our burdens that we think we can find the right answers to. Our worries and our concerns that we're going to figure out. And it means laying them down to God and saying, God, I sacrifice them to you. And I'm going to just trust you. And I'm going to truly put my life in your hands. And where you lead, I'll follow. I think it means giving up our own plans and our own dreams for life. I think it means giving up the dreams that our society says that we are supposed to have and say, I sacrifice them for you, God, and I'm gonna live my life where you lead. I'm gonna live according to your dreams, what you value, what you prioritize, what you call me to do. 
I think it means laying down the power of our voice sometimes. Right? When, when we want to scream back in anger or when we want to defend ourselves when we've been wrong and God says, lay it down. I'll be your defender. You need to give grace. You need to sacrifice your right to be angry. I think when Jesus calls us to take up our cross daily and follow him, it means giving up an awful lot of real life stuff. It's real sacrifice, and that's hard. But you know what he tells us? If we don't choose to do it, if we don't choose to give it up, then we're going to have it taken from us. We're going to lose it all anyways. That's the paradox of God. If we try our hardest to save our lives, to save the life of this world, to control ourselves and to have all the comforts that this world provides, if we try so hard to live according to our plans and our purposes, then in the end, he says, you're going to lose it all. (laughs) You're going to lose everything. But if you choose to willingly give it up to God, If you do the hard work of sacrifice, of laying down your lives, of following in Jesus' footsteps and giving it all for God, you know what? Then God's going to give you true life. Then you're going to have the kind of life you've always dreamed of anyways. Real life both for eternity and life with meaning and purpose here today. You know, Jim Elliott, you probably heard this quote before. Jim Elliott modeled what that kind of sacrifice looks like. He was a missionary, died on the mission field, was a martyr for the cause of Jesus Christ. And before he died, he uttered this sentence as so meaningful. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me read that again and think about that. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So many of us, so many people are living as fools today in this life. Right, we're so busy living for the things, gathering the things of this world, gathering the comforts and pleasures and joys of this world. We're so busy gathering the things that we can't keep anyways that we're missing out on the life that could be ours both now and for eternity. Jesus has made it possible that we can have life eternal after we die and for today. He's made it possible for us to have purpose and joy and peace and meaning right now and yet so often we're not willing to go through Good Friday. We're not willing to lay down the the stuff of this world that we love so much. We're not willing to set aside our plans and our purposes and our desires and our dreams. And we're not willing to make the sacrifice. And as a result, yes, we get to avoid the pain of Good Friday. We get to avoid the discomfort of sacrifice. but we also miss out on Easter. We also miss out on a resurrection lifestyle. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep 
to gain what he cannot lose. But you know, we don't only make this sacrifice in our lives for ourselves so that we can have life. We lose our lives for this world around us as well. Think about Jesus' Jesus' perspective. Think about his drive and, and his dream and his purpose. Why did Jesus follow that path and die? Why did he lose everything? Well, we read it just last Sunday, the purpose that God had behind this sacrifice. We read it from John 3, 16, which said, God so loved this world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Okay, so God sent his son. Jesus willingly walked to that cross. Why? Because he loved He loved us, he loved you, he loved me when we were unlovable, when we were undeserving. He did it for love for the people who were nailing him to that cross. We've already heard that this Lent season, if you've been here. It's by his wounds on the cross that he gave everything. It's by those wounds that we have been healed from our brokenness. It's by his wounds that we have been redeemed and bought back for God. It's by his wounds that we have been saved, given new life now and for eternity. When we were undeserving, he died for us. And now in our new life, we will follow in those footsteps. Right, This new life in Christ that we are called to live will sacrifice for those around us who also are unlovable, who also are undeserving, but who need God's grace delivered to them through us, who need God's forgiveness delivered to them through us, who need to experience a little bit of God's love for them delivered to them through us. That's where Jesus' footprints will lead us. That's where his cross will call us. Because by his wounds, we are now sent to be Jesus to this world. And so as we prepare to experience Holy Week again, we will see Jesus again, losing everything. Losing his freedom. Losing his friends. Losing his life. All for God's kingdom purposes, right? All so that the door would be open to you and to me to find life now and for eternity. And as we see this journey again together, Jesus prepares us to be his disciples, to follow in those footsteps, to be willing to give ourselves away truly, to lose our lives in love for him and for the people that he loves. Are you ready to be a disciple? If you are, then remember it's by losing, it's by losing that we all win. If anyone would come after me, He must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. 
For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. Would you pray with me? Lord God, you know how much we love our lives. We love this life. It's all we know. It's all we've experienced. And we love the comforts and pleasures of this world. We love life when it is simple, when it is painless, when it is, it is successful, when it's easy. And that's where our hearts so often land. The last thing we want is to lose what we've worked so hard to gain. The last thing we want is to sacrifice. The last thing we want is difficulty and challenge. And yet as disciples, that's what you call us to. You don't call us to a life of comfort and ease. You call us to a life of sacrifice. You call us to lose so that we might truly gain. And Father, I know that in the coming days, you are going to give each of us opportunities, small ones or large, to lay down a part of our life for you. You're going to give us encounters with people. You're going to give us opportunities in ministries. And you're going to invite us to give maybe some of our finances. You're going to invite us to give maybe a little bit of our time. You're going to invite us to lay down our busy schedule to spend time with somebody who needs to hear that they matter to you. I don't know how exactly you're going to invite each one of us to lay down our lives for you, but you will. And I pray that our ears and our eyes would notice and that our hearts would say yes and that we would be your true disciples following in your footsteps and experience the Easter resurrection life. Give us that kind of courage to be your disciples, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us, please? We're going to sing one last song. We're going to sing the truth that our God is mighty to save. But if you notice where that, start, where that song starts, it starts with the truth that everyone needs compassion. Everyone needs to know Jesus. Everyone needs to experience the love and the grace that he died to give us. And so it's a call for us to be the people who go out into this world and share that grace and share that love and share the truth of the mighty salvation truth of Jesus Christ. So I hope that you'll sing this as your commitment to being sent by him. But before we sing that song, I want you to receive God's parting blessing.